Africa Climate Conversations. The podcast. Hello, how are you? Welcome. This is the Africa Climate Conversations podcast, COP28 edition. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. Now, COP28 takes place at the backdrop of increased financial needs to address the climate change adaptation, mitigation, as well as loss and damage. Just to mention, the 2023 UNEP Adaptation Gap report estimates that the cost of adaptation in developing countries stand at $215 billion per year this decade. Now, for Africa, the continent requires at least 56 billion US dollars annually for adaptation alone by 2030. Between 2020 to 2030, African countries require an estimated funding of approximately 2.8 trillion dollars to fund the Continent Conditional Climate Plans, or NDCs. Overall, the economic loss and damages in the Global South countries by 2020 had amounted to $425 billion US dollars, and further the loss and damage collaboration calculated midpoint estimates that these economic losses and damages will reach $671 billion US dollars by 2030. Now, this is just one perspective of the financial needs. There are different reports on the rising climate-related financial needs in developing countries. Provision and access to finance has been a critical issue and one of the issues that the COP27 president, Sami Shukri, addressed while handing over the COP presidency button as one of the worrying trends that needs to be addressed to restore trust in the multilateral climate process. We also need a frank assessment of where we stand in relation to our collective ambitions to the stark realities of science and to the echoing voices of impacted communities across the globe. A quick realities check in this regard should be of concern to all of us for a number of reasons. First, because most of what we bring forward as tangible solutions and actionable commitments is based on speculation or well wishes at most that we will be able to deliver our NDCs conditional and unconditional, that developed countries will deliver the 100 billion goal, that the loss and damage fund established in Sharm el-Sheikh will be replenished in billions of dollars, that international financial institutions will be reformed to deliver all the support required, and that the private sector altogether with Article 2.1.C of the Paris Agreement, is the silver bullet that will unlock the flows of appropriate finance to developing countries. These are all mere assumptions with no evident proof in reality. Second, rather than increasing climate finance from developed countries, actually it's decreasing in relation to the growing needs and the increasing cost of finance in developing countries. The Green Climate Fund and the Adaptation Fund are but two examples of this worrying trend of decreased financial flows. Third, the expansion of fossil fuel exploration and production, in particular of coal, in countries that previously committed to substantially phase down or in some instances completely phase out coal. Another worrying sign is the increased gap in renewable energy expansion and availability, and the temptation of resorting to unilateral measures, either through incentives or taxes, shifting fair competition and jeopardizing multilateralism 
and hard-earned gains in developing nations. Colleagues, these are all worrying signs that we need to take seriously, as they not only erode trust in the global climate regime, but also have deep impacts and severe consequences on our ability to achieve the goals of the Paris Agreement. And while the outcomes delivered in Sharm el-Sheikh do take us a step further in the right direction, these worrying signs need to be addressed immediately and effectively if we are to remain on the right side of history and to ensure that our collective efforts are not in vain. In his speech, the COP28 President Sultan Arjabar committed to do his part to ensure COP28 unlocks climate finance for developing nations. Finance has not been available, accessible or affordable. This presidency is committed to unlocking finance to ensure that the Global South does not have to choose between development and climate action. Let this be the year that climate finance meets the magnitude of the moment. Let this be the COP where we deliver on our promises from the 100 billion and on loss and damage. Now, in Paris, back in 2015, at COFOR, of the Paris Agreement mandated nations to communicate their national pledges on limiting climate change. Now, these plans, known as the Nationally Determined Contribution or NDCs. Now, this month, the UN warned that collectively, these national plans still puts the world on track to warm by nearly three degrees Celsius this century. Already, the World Meteorological Organization, WMO, confirms that 2023, which is not yet over, is said to be the warmest year on record. By the end of October, data shows that the year was about 1.4 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. Now, the COP28 president, in his remark, agrees that the world has not done enough since Paris. He hopes that the world can detour from the past through an ambitious global stock decisions that corrects course and accelerates action to 2020 this year in Dubai. Through the global stock we have a chance to unite the three core elements of the climate agenda. We can finally bring mitigation, adaptation, and means of implementation, which includes finance, under one umbrella, united around higher ambition, giving clear direction on nationally determined contributions and connecting everything we agree here to practical action in the real world. Every nation, every sector, and every one of us has an urgent and an immediate role to play. The global stock take is basically the world taking an inventory. It means that evaluating the world's progress in cutting greenhouse gas emissions, building resilience to climate change, as well as assessing if countries are receiving the support they require in terms of finance, uh, technology, capacity building, that is enshrined in various articles of the Paris Agreement. Now, the stock take will also identify gaps and best solutions for cooperation. It will be done um, every five years, starting from this year. Now, one of the key issues every COP is the language used on the final text specific to fossil fuel. The use of fossil fuel by developed countries is what has led the world temperatures to rise to where we are today. Now, Article 4 of the Convention, which is the building block of the climate negotiation, recognizes that, and I quote, 
that there are parties that are with economies that are highly dependent on income generated from the production, processing and export and or consumption of fossil fuels and associated energy intensive products and or the use of fossil fuels for which such parties have serious difficulties in switching to alternatives. Algebra in his commitment to 1.5 degrees called for flexibility and consensus to achieve a common ground. We must look for ways and ensure the inclusion of the role of fossil fuels. I know there are strong views about the idea of including language on fossil fuels and renewables in the negotiated text. We collectively have the power to do something unprecedented. In fact, we have no choice but to go the very unconventional way. I ask you all to work together. Be flexible, find common ground, come forward with solutions and achieve consensus and never lose sight of our North Star of 1.5. Now, we know in terms of dealing with climate change or the environmental degradation is about development. And developing nations, especially Africa, has been asked time and again to leapfrog and not develop in the same manner as developed countries did and adapt renewable technologies. But it is important to remember that some of these nations already rely mostly on renewables and lack energy baseloads. They have development plans. And when it comes to issues of energy justice, it is important to consider that these countries' rights to development, especially given that majority of these nations contribute nearly zero emissions, are still most impacted by climate change. But as Simon Steele, the UN Climate Change Executive Secretary, rightly puts it, if the transition is not just, the world won't transition, but the energy transition is a tough balance between rights to development and also human existence. We decide to commit to a new energy system. If we do not signal the terminal decline of the fossil fuel era as we know it, we welcome our own terminal decline, and we choose to pay with people's lives. If this transition isn't just, we won't transition at all. And that means justice within and between countries sharing benefits across society, ensuring that everyone, women, indigenous peoples, and youth in all their diversity have equal opportunities to benefit from these transitions. This is a critical climate justice issue and we will keep you updated as the story develops. Now, there have been well-publicized controversies surrounding COP28 host Dubai and its ties to oil and gas. Um, and reducing methane is a single most important effective short-term action oil and gas companies can take to reduce emissions and also contribute towards this whole journey, right? Aljabara says that his presidency has engaged national oil companies, of which he says that many have adopted net zero target by 2050. He further says the presidency is engaging other high-emitting sectors like heavy transportations, aluminium, steel, and cement sectors. On loss and damage, the presidency gaveled, yes, just right immediately after, the first major milestone of COP28, delivering a historic agreement to operationalize the fund, which will assist developing countries that are particularly vulnerable to the advanced effect of climate change. Now, the UAE announced it will commit $100 million 
dollars to the fund. Other countries making notable commitments include Germany, which has committed 100 million dollars, the UK with 40 million pounds, Japan, which has contributed 10 million dollars, and the US, which has committed 17.5 million. But the truth is, commitment is one thing, delivering is another thing, right? And another thing, it is very critical to note that the technical team had set conditionalities for the World Bank and the bank must respond to ensure that operationalization of this fund actually takes place. At the end, it is critical that the fund is directly accessible nationally because the key issue has been access to finance, climate finance for developing nations. And it's very important that this fund is sustainable and there is actual money to be accessed uh, with clear sources of funds with also clear direction of whether nations will be accessing funds that are actually uh, loans or grants, you know, and that this does not lead to further debts, especially in Africa, you know, my motherland, acutely impacted by climate change and also highly, highly indebted continent, okay? So at the end of the day, it's all about action. You know, how are these decisions translating into actions nationally? It's about what do nations do when they go back home? Something Algebra agrees. Our task is not only about negotiating text or putting words on paper. It is about improving lives. It is about people. All of us want and need the same things. Clean air, clean water, healthy food, economies and opportunities for ourselves and our families. And of course, we want a safe and a secure future. Is that too much to ask? We must translate the negotiated outcomes into real results in the real world. And that's all for today. The COP has just kicked off. I will do my best to update you, but please feel free to follow me on social media, Africa Climate Conversations on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And also follow my personal handle on LinkedIn, Sophie Mbogwa, for speedy updates there. Otherwise, I will see you as soon as I can. Bye-bye for now. My name is Sophie Mbogwa. Africa Climate Conversations. Thank you.